You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this installment of our RSAC 365 podcast series. Thank you for tuning in. We have a great podcast lined up for you today. Increasing threats to OT ICS assets need a robust cybersecurity program with Eric Cosman and John Livingston. Here at RSAC, we have podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now it's my pleasure to turn it over to Eric and John to introduce themselves so that we can dive into today's topic. This is Eric Cosman, and Casey, thanks for inviting me. I am the current president of the International Society of Automation, and I also co-chair the ISA 99 Committee on Industrial Control Systems Cybersecurity. I'm a uh, semi-retired industry consultant, and I've spent uh, many, many years in industrial automation and IT. And in the recent 20 years, I've spent quite a bit of that time focusing on industrial cybersecurity. And uh, Casey, it's Sean Livingston. Uh, thank you, as Eric said, thank you very much for uh, for hosting us today. I am the CEO of Verve Industrial Protection. We are a software and services company that focuses on protecting uh, the world's critical infrastructure. I spent the first 20 years of my career at McKinsey and Company Consulting, and in that work, I spent a lot of time on Industry 4.0 and advanced manufacturing, and one of the biggest challenges that we kept finding was the security aspects of these advanced manufacturing environments and as more and more things connect for big data, et cetera. And so I left the firm and joined FERV to try and accelerate uh, the advancement of cybersecurity for these critical uh, manufacturing, power, transportation, and other industries. So I'm just thrilled to be here with Eric today, who's truly one of the, the leaders and original folks thinking about this challenging problem. That's such a nice well, way welcome, of saying it. Well, welcome, both of you. <laughs> <laughs> experienced, experienced, and that's what we love, and we're, we're so grateful to have both of you here with us today. It sounds like you both bring a wealth of experience and expertise to the conversation, which is just so fruitful for our listeners, so we're grateful to have you. Eric, I want to jump in um, and hear from you about this concept of OT versus IT. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, one of my favorite subjects. I will start by saying the terms drive me crazy, and they really drive me crazy when we, and this is not a reflection on you, but when I hear people say IT versus OT, particularly the versus part. Um, When I formed my consulting company after I retired, I purposely used the term OIT, and the reason for that is OIT stands for Operations Information Technology, and I wanted to stress with people that information technology is common. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. So it's not a question of OT versus IT. It's operations IT in conjunction with and collaboration with business IT. That's a bit of a mouthful, so people like to shorten it to OT versus IT, but I think it's important to stress that because, as I said, at every opportunity, I remind people that it is not a contest, it's a collaboration. And in order to secure an enterprise, which includes operations, all of the disciplines have to work together. So that's how I personally rationalize the 
Operating or Operational Information Technology abbreviation. I love it. And, you know, you're right that OT versus IT is, uh, you know, so often thrown around as if it is one against the other, right? But it is that collaboration, that coming together that really matters. So we know that the foundation of OT cybersecurity is appropriate systems. While IT systems management processes have been in place for years and are pretty well followed, that's not been the case for OT, likely because of, Eric, you point out that versus, right, seeing them as distinctively different from each other. John, what are the core functions that need to be brought into OT, and how do we bring these capabilities together? Yeah, it's it's really right. Um, you know, in the OT world, in large part due to, uh, you know, legacy systems, systems that run in most cases or many cases anyway, 24-7 with little downtime, uh, et cetera, you don't have the same level of quote-unquote systems management uh, that you have in IT. So these are things like patch management, uh, inventory management, configuration management, user management, et cetera. Uh, these are all functions that have been well-proven in IT and, and essentially have been built up in a way as a set of foundational elements of IT management that as we started to overlay security, you could build off of them um, because you had a regular process of, of managing for patches, even if they weren't security-related, they were functional-related, or managing configurations to ensure the network was operating appropriately or devices were operating appropriately. And so we could layer security on top of these practices. In OT, or OIT, as Eric says, um, many of these systems have historically not been, quote-unquote, managed. Uh, they've been put in place by an OEM vendor or a system integrator. They've been tuned to work for that system. And then, in many cases, left as much as possible without touching them because by keeping them stable, they run. Um, however, they also, over time, gain significant numbers of vulnerabilities and risks as, as new vulnerabilities emerge. And as small changes happen in the system, if they're not managed, you can get drift uh, from the security that originally was in place. And so as we look at it, one of the key elements of building a truly secure OIT environment uh, is to instill these practices, the core fundamentals of patching, configuration hardening, uh, vulnerability management, software management, et cetera. Um, and that will need to be done in a way that is safe and effective for these sensitive OIT systems. Uh, so it's not going to be just, okay, we'll take exactly what we do in IT and apply it. There will be the need for new types of technologies and tools to help uh, and new processes. But it's a pretty key element of, of if we're going to secure these environments. Yeah, I think, uh, John, you make some very good points. And I, I think that um, one way to look at this is draw a parallel to maintenance because ultimately what we're talking about here is maintenance of the IT and network components in an operating facility. Some of us and some in the audience may recall or have been involved in the past in debates about predictive and preventative maintenance for process equipment. And there was, you know, there were always different schools of thought ranging from run it till it breaks to, you know, the more recent, uh, and by recent, it's not re really recent, it's decades ago, but to predictive maintenance, 
for example, specifically in rotating equipment, people found that they could detect failures before they occurred and they could take the appropriate actions or intervention to prevent failure. And by doing that, they would ultimately have a much more reliable facility. So when you're talking to operations people or operating engineers or operators or technicians or whoever you're talking about in a, in a mill or a plant or an operating facility, coming at them from that direction and explaining that everything needs care and feeding. As I like to say, nobody's figured out how to reverse the second law of thermodynamics, which is entropy. So everything left to its own will eventually degrade. IT and network systems are no different. And so explaining to them that these kinds of things are necessary, this kind of work and intervention is necessary is the first step. And then, of course, they're going to say to you, well, how do I do that without becoming an expert in the technology? And that, I believe, is the biggest challenge that the IT, IoT, or OIT security, particularly with regard to security, industry faces. How do you deliver the tools, the techniques, and the practices so that people can maintain their systems without becoming networking experts or TCP IP experts or security experts or whatever. To me, that's the problem we have to solve. And just, Eric, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that we preach is what we call think globally, act locally. One of the challenges mm-hmm. that our clients have is, you know, they have 60 plants, let's say, around the world. Okay, well, I can't have cybersecurity experts at every one of those plants. I can't have patching experts. And so one of the things we built when we built FERC was this concept of being able to gather all of that data from those sites into one central database centrally that a team of experts can look at, they can analyze it, they can plan for remediation activities, patching activities, all of those systems management activities, and design the actions. And then essentially have those distributed down to a plant, but then before the action happens, it's done locally. And so there's automation at a local level to help those engineers at the local site who aren't security experts, but they are automation experts. And they know, okay, I can't patch that system when the plant is online, or if I remove that service account, this is going to break. Uh, and so I need to do it when it's offline and I need to have a backup, et cetera. You know, think global. So analyze globally allows you to centralize the security knowledge, and then the act locally allows you to have the, the engineering and automation knowledge where you need it most and when you're going to start taking action to make changes. And, and hopefully that kind of concept can get us out of this, this problem of, of a lack of, of technical skills in, in each and every site around the world. You hit on a very important point. Uh, before I retired and when I was working full-time, I used to tell people that there are certain commandments that you must follow. And the first commandment is you never, ever surprise the operator because the operator is sitting there. And the other phrase I used to use was the law of proximate disruption. And that is that if you are going to disrupt something, you have to be disrupted with it. So you can't do it remotely. So you can do all of the prep work, all of the management, all the planning, and exactly as you said, when the trigger gets pulled, it's got to be with no surprise to operations. They've got to be fully engaged because they're the ones that know what's going on on the ground. 
completely agree with you on that. Thank you both. That's that's great. I want I do want to go back to um, just this idea of tools, techniques, and practices as it relates to cybersecurity. And John, I was hoping you could talk a little bit to our listeners about ISA's comprehensive approach to cybersecurity for ICS systems and why organizations need to rely on both network and endpoint protections. So I will talk very briefly about the ISA piece because you have literally the author on this call, and so I'd love to hear Eric's deeper dive on this. But I'll give you the high level, which is ISA uh, 99 and the corresponding IEC 62443 lays out a very comprehensive set of ICS, OT, cybersecurity practices um, and policies and approaches. It includes everything from uh, policies and procedures, network design, endpoint management practices that you should uh, uh, pursue, and then provides documents that organizations can go through to essentially establish their own standards and approaches to make that happen in their organization. Uh, it's a very, very comprehensive set of things, and, and Eric will, I'm sure, go into more detail on that in a second. Um, but core to it is it's not one thing. Cybersecurity isn't in OT, and frankly, IT as well. It's, you know, maybe called defense in depth, but it, it includes multiple layers of defense. And so oftentimes, because these systems are sensitive, because the engineers are concerned, a lot of organizations end up falling back on, well, if I can just solve the network problem, if I just go put perimeters in place, uh, firewalls, et cetera, or I put a network monitoring solution to spot, you know, anomalous traffic on the network, that'll give me security because I really don't want to mess, quote, unquote, with the endpoint. The reality is that that is just incomplete security. And, in fact, if you're not managing it at the endpoint level, and what I mean by that is doing things like patching and and putting in application whitelisting and monitoring configurations at the endpoints, in many cases, you may not get the network security right either. And so you need to find a way to address the endpoint security elements as well as the network pieces. And ISA is a great model which lays out an approach to bring those pieces together. Um, but without that, ransomware, you know, is a huge risk in the OIT environments. And that is an endpoint risk, right? It is something that is going to impact those endpoints. It's going to lock them up. Um, and if you do that, your plant is going to shut down. Uh, and so if you're not protecting those endpoints, if they're not patched, uh, if they're not, you know, if the user and account management is not controlled on those, uh, if the configuration settings are open, et cetera, you will end up with ransomware, even if you have wonderful network protection. Eric, do you want to expand a little bit more about ISA and, you know, what? Sure. Yeah, I uh, thank you, and and I agree with everything you said. Uh, well, let me preface my comments by saying that I could talk about this for hours, but not to scare you, I, I won't. I'm going to try to keep this very brief. Uh, as I said in my introduction, I am currently the president of ISA, and for those of you that may not be familiar with us as an organization, the International Society of Automation aspires to be the home of the automation profession. And we actually are three different things. And, and I'll touch on them very briefly. First of all, we are a professional society. 
for people who practice automation, be they technicians or engineers or scientists or educators. We are also basically a business that provides training and educational materials and books and all sorts of things in all matters related to automation, not just cybersecurity. And then last but certainly not least, we are an accredited standards development organization, or so-called SDO, and accredited by the American National Standards Institute. And that's where we get into this conversation. We formed a committee called ISA 99 to develop what has become the 62443 series of standards for industrial cybersecurity. That committee was formed almost 20 years ago. People sometimes, as you point out, John, gravitate to particular aspects of the solution and look for easy answers. I recall a conversation I had with a gentleman once who represented a trade association whose members were small and medium-sized chemical companies. And he said, you don't understand. My members just want a checklist. Just give them a checklist. They can run through the checklist and they'll be quote unquote secure. And I said, well, with due respect, you don't understand. This is a much more complicated problem than that. So in the committee that created the standards, and it still works on the standards, this is a thriving committee, we basically present the problem space in three dimensions. One of them is the system engineering dimension that goes from component to device to system to system of systems to management systems. So it's it's all layers of that sort of hierarchical set of complexity. The second dimension is every one of those layers has a lifespan from conception to development to delivery to implementation to support to retirement. So we cover that dimension. And then the third dimension is the one that everybody's familiar with, that anybody's ever done system development knows, people, process, and technology. Technology won't solve your problem without the appropriate processes, business processes and support and procedures and standard operating procedures and so forth. And the people part of it, there are many roles involved in implementing an effective cybersecurity program. So we try to address all of those. So that's why the 62443 standards are as big and intimidating as they are uh, and when you look at them. But when I, I tell people, yes, there's a lot of material there, but they're not meant to be read every page by every person. The goal is to identify what parts of the standard are most appropriate to your role, learn from those, they provide your reference source, your base of knowledge, and then either develop, derive, or adopt practices based on those standards, and they will guide you in the right direction. I hope I've hit, I wanted to keep it very brief. I hope I hit the answer to your question effectively. You absolutely did. And I think, you know, again, it goes back to the people, process, and technology, which leads to my next question. You know, why is it that organizations are not relying on both network protection and detection and endpoint system management? Is this a skills gap? Does it have to do with the people? Is it the technology, a budgetary issue, resource issue? How do they effectively implement an OIT security strategy and architecture? So I think, in part, it is a skills gap. As we just talked about, folks who are engineers in automation and control techs, et cetera, are not going to be uh, patching experts or configuration experts. And so there is skills that need to be deployed. But, but I think it's more than just that. Um, referred to as OTSM or OT systems management is going to have to be a different practice than the traditional ITSM. 
because the systems themselves are different. Um, you have embedded industrial IoT or embedded TLC type devices. You've got 24 by 7 uptime where you, know, you can't just push a patch and reboot your machine. Um, you have very sensitive devices that may operate a pharmaceutical line um, that need to be managed not only from an operational point of view, but from a regulatory point of view. So a number of steps in this that are going to make TSM different. Um, so I go back to this notion of, of having a toolkit where you can, A, do that analysis centrally. And so you can centralize all the information about an endpoint. What are its vulnerabilities? What are its users and accounts? Where does it sit in the network? Is it behind a firewall? Is it not? And centralize that information and make risk-based trade-offs. What I mean by that is, unlike an IT work, okay, it's Tuesday, I can just push patches and all the patches go down. Um, I'm going to have to make strategic trade-offs in OT. I'm going to have to say, okay, that device is not going to be patched because we don't have downtime until, you know, next month. Okay, what actions can I take? What compensating controls can I take? And the only way for me to know that is I need to have what we call a 360-degree view of the asset. We need to be able to see it's patching. We need to see, does it have application whitelisting enabled? Is its AV status up to date? Is it sitting behind a firewall? And all of that information that allows us to make an intelligent choice of what's the best action to take from an endpoint protection for that particular asset. And so the, the real key skill here is having the capabilities to make those kinds of trade-offs. And our view is you're going to need people like Berkeley Tools to help you make that trade-off, to help you get all of those perspectives, um, components of an asset and give you a score, give you a, a recommendation of what's the most likely best way to secure that asset. Um, because otherwise it just becomes too complicated. Um, so our view is, yes, there are skill gaps, but there's going to need to be tools and technologies that enable decision-making in a more efficient way in these environments. Eric, anything to add or build on that? Yeah, I, I mean, the question is posed was, you know, why don't people avail themselves or, or take the steps necessary to secure both endpoints and systems and, you know, multiple aspects of the overall system? Skill gaps are certainly a, an element of the challenge, but I just jotted down on my piece of paper here the following words, skills, experience, resources, focus, motivation, and imperative. And all of those are elements of the response. And I'm not going to go into each one, but let me talk about imperative, the last one I mentioned for just a moment. Often, security programs are driven by an imperative or an edict or uh, something like that. Basically, the management says, fix it. Secure it. I don't want to be a victim. We talked about skills. John's talked quite a bit about skills. We've all heard the problem with resources. There's not enough resources to do this. It's actually skilled resources and experienced resources. But the two that we don't talk about as much is focus and motivation. And when you're talking about operational systems, you have to understand that the people that run those facilities, be they plants or mills or, or pipelines or transportation systems or whatever they happen to be, their primary focus and motivation is not on security. It's on making sure those assets operate the best way possible. 
as a friend of mine used to say, to the limits of economics and the laws of physics. So in a sense, you have to get inside that head, inside that mindset, and weave security into that, and then point out to people that security is a complex endeavor and it's a complex challenge. And you do have to, let me just take our endpoints for a moment. A lot of people will say, a lot of operations people would say, no, 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 no. I buy these endpoints assuming that they're secure. So why should I have to spend a lot of time securing them? That's the vendor's problem. And the analogy I put to them is, think of safety. When you buy a safety-certified device to go into a control system, it is not certified to be safe by itself. It is certified to be suitable for a safety application. So just like you can take a power saw and remove the guard and end up losing a finger, you can take a safety certified device and operate it in an unsafe manner, and you can take a security certified device and operate it in an insecure manner. So that's where the skills and the resources and also the motivation and focus come to bear. So that's that's kind of the way I look at it. As you know, I, I mean, I spent my whole life as an asset owner or an end user or whatever term you like, and so I kind of look at it from that perspective. I think that's such a great analogy and, you know, bringing in that safety piece really visualizes it for the listeners. I think that's fantastic. Eric and John, this has been a great conversation. I think these conversations need to be ongoing because it's so important. Um, do you have either of you any parting words for our listeners before we wrap up? So, Casey, thank you very much for, for hosting us today. I uh, really appreciate the chance to be here with Eric and you. I guess I would just say, as we pursue security in these OIT environments, uh, I would encourage folks to think hard about the ability to start to take these kinds of endpoint management actions, not just the network protection actions. Um, and, you know, what we often say is there's a lot of people who can tell you what you can't do in a control system to secure it. What you need to think about is what can you do safely and what can you find a way to do with the right technology and, and training um, that will truly allow you to be secure rather than just, you know, might might be caught putting window dressing on it. So that's my last thought that I'd leave you with today. Thanks again. Sarah? Thank you. Uh, thanks very much. I'd jump at every opportunity like this to try to get, you know, sort of get the message out there to the extent that people find my comments useful. Uh, and I hope I've tweaked a few thoughts in people's minds. Um, when I introduced myself, I kept it brief. But as I said, I worked in the industry for many years as various versions of architect, system architect and technical architect and so forth, not building buildings, but building complex systems. And so now that I'm retired, I refer to myself as a recovering system architect. But um, as an architect, I always tried to break these concepts down in simple terms to get people's attention and get them thinking, thus my use of lists of words. One word I did not use, but I would close with this word, is collaboration. It's a word that connotes many things to many people, but in the positive sense, I just want to stress to whoever's listening to this that this is not a problem that any one discipline can solve. There are no magic bullets. There are no tools that are going to solve all the problems. I think everyone knows that. So ultimately, this is about managing risk. 
And if you define risk as threat, vulnerability, and consequence, a function of those three, the asset owner understands the consequence. It is upon the asset owner that the accountability resides, the securing their system because of that. So the asset owner has got to look at those three components, find the people that you trust that have proven that they can do what you want them to do, build the most effective team that you can and that you can afford, and go into this with your eyes open, that this is not, again, I love love to use quotes that have helped me shape my thought process. This is not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. So you have to make an open-ended commitment to this. That's great parting words. Thank you. Eric, John, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC, and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content for to be around. Also, subscribe to the RSAC podcast on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app, and stay tuned for our next podcast. Thank you all. Be well.